0: Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Jade Alberts. Jade is the founder of Peer Guidance and a business strategist, entrepreneur, connector, investor that tells it like it is. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Sometimes you have to let go to grow. So contact him and set up an honest meeting. Jade enjoys building trusting relationships with Handshake Honesty. He has a genuine passion for both people and businesses. Honesty, authenticity, networking, connecting, and sharing are the pillars of his belief system. Join Jade on his Facebook Live Telling It Like It Is interview every Wednesday at 9.30am Mountain Standard Time. It's a 15-minute discussion that shares small business owners' stories. In this episode, Jade has a conversation with Derek Fraser. Take it away, Jade.
1: Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to edition of LIBI, another Rainforest podcast. My name is Jade Alberts, the founder of Peer Guidance. Peer Guidance is a purpose-before-profit group that guides startups through the challenges they face. They go from exception to expansion. Being a small business or entrepreneur can be challenging, so asking for guidance is not a sign of weakness, and we're here to help. Today's guest, I'm excited to interview, and I've known for some time, is Derek Frazier. Derek Frazier, how are you today? I'm
2: doing fantastic, Jay. Nice to connect with you.
1: It is. I know we. Uh, I guess we kind of pre-COVID. We were able to hook up and have a have a coffee in person. I think in January, yeah. which which was nice. Yep.
2: Thank God we were able to do that then. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I'm looking forward to having another coffee soon. Yeah. Whenever we're able to get out of the house, absolutely. No, for sure. So Derek, is. I'm going to give a brief introduction to Derek here, and then we will roll right into our questions. So Derek is a seasoned and energetic executive who is committed to enlarging the pool of financial resources to fund the changes in our world worthy of investment. Committed to a donor-centered approach, realizing impact and philanthropic success, Derek possesses an expert level of knowledge with years of service to many organizations and delivers results quickly stressing the importance of stewardship in all philopantric activities and advocate for it at all levels, fostering and maintaining significant relationships worldwide through a general interest in donors, their families, and the broader philopantric sector, ardent supporters of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, the Donor Bill of Rights, the AFP Code of Ethics, which demands for memberships in the AFP. So, Derek, thank you again for joining. And one of the... I wanted to stress um, are are the ten pillars that I know we've all signed our contract. But the one we I like to focus on today is obviously something that you that you focus on in your life and, and and your career is the agreeing to pay it forward. And 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 in that pay it forward section, it says for every introduction to get, I will provide an interjection to another person. For every hour of advice I receive, I will give an hour of advice to someone else. And for every risk someone takes with me, I will risk taking it for a different person. So talking right now about giving back, it is so important. You're seeing so many great things in social media um, and, and, and on the news or wherever, whatever you're watching. So why is it always important for you as a person to give back just even in general?
2: Jade, I, you know, I, this isn't a switch I turn on and off, you know, as uh, coronaviruses come and go. I, I sort of live by this creed of, of, uh, you know, the golden rule that, you know, the Rotary International, uh, utilized. My father is very involved with Rotary. So I got it all those, uh, the, the four tests of Rotary early in my life. So they just got ingrained and embedded in sort of what I do every day. And I, I like to, you know, Genuinely, you know, not for, you know, looking for a payback. I genuinely are interested in helping people who are in need and, you know, working in nonprofit that stretches into uh, a much more complex uh Relationship with uh, sustainability around organizations that uh, are having uh, today even more of a challenge uh, as our economic uh, system is under threat and, and and bombardment of of temporary funding. We don't have the the economy running on all cylinders, so that that trickles down as we all know in in different manifestations of of. Uh, support and need that are probably higher now than they were pre-COVID. There's, we're creating a whole new level of need uh, and our mental health um, issues will probably stretch seven years after this, as I've been told uh, from colleagues who've worked on the um, flood and the uh, Calgary flood 2013, as well as the um, forest fires in Fort Mac, that uh, they are still hearing people who are still suffering from those um systems. And and so we can expect something probably from this because there's so many unknowns that we're facing right now. So it's great to see so many people stepping up uh, and giving back at this time. What I would ideally like to see is that this becomes their new way of life, that they just don't turn it on when there's a need. But there's need 100 percent, 24-7, not just when something happens and we need to respond. Uh, and there are many people already in our community here in Calgary who are who are constantly living by this um mandate to to continually help but there are a lot others who could pile on in this way and I I would really encourage those who who have the means have the interest have the drive to to continue to do what you did and what you learned about yourself during this time and help your fellow man whatever that may look like and um, uh, that will continue to evolve as we all know we're not quite at the end of this road even though we have some openings and and staged sort of Reintroduction of uh, our economy coming online—we're a long way from our new normal, which is going to impact all of us in different ways. As such that um, the 9/11 sort of outcomes have changed the way we travel, the change we do security, changed everything. We will have a, a massive change across the world in um, uh, the, you know the end of this COVID experience, and hopefully we'll be ready for. Covid 20, 21, 22, with a little more efficiency, uh, so that we won't be forced to be in the lockdown ever again. Yeah,
1: you know I agree with that, and let's hope it's a long time before it's uh, it hits again. But I, I think that's probably why you and I hit off such a good friendship is that we love giving back, we love helping out other organizations, and and that one thing one point that you made in there to stress, and we'll probably talk a little bit of pre COVID and during COVID and post COVID here. Um, is that giving back and helping your fellow man, and that doesn't have to be financial? I mean, how does somebody go out and, you know, volunteer their time during COVID? Uh, Has some organizations taken certain steps, and will it return back to normal post-COVID when somebody wants to give back their time rather than their money?
2: Um, you know what? So we have terrific service clubs. Rotary, Kinsmen, Lions, whose whole, uh, essence of, of their history and who they are today is to give it back. But of course, that, that service club model is facing today's reality of, um, uh, you know, volunteering a commitment to an ongoing sort of, uh, set of, uh, tasks and, and activities. And I think as we're finding a lot of people will step up. Uh, because they've got work, they've got family, they've got all the usual life, uh, you know, challenges and, and experiences that take time. But I think in my experience, people are really elated and feel they're adding purpose to not just their own life by volunteering and helping someone else out. But they as a group, I find uh, organizations our corporate friends who organize employee um volunteer times, I know Synovus uh, to name just one company has had a great history of volunteerism who when approaching them for financial help often have a volunteer component. So their employees learn about their community better and serve in a way that allows them to um, feel firsthand the, the goodwill that comes from volunteering. And so I guess my, my advice would be is if you enjoy volunteering, there are many, many opportunities out there and there are organizations like the uh, Calgary Chamber of Volunteer Organization, CCVO. If you go to their um, website, you'll find out where there are opportunities. This is everything from a board membership, potentially. And I would caution that you'd want to, you know, have a connection to the organization in some way, either through a personal experience or family, because just showing up and volunteering, but not really giving uh, much about the organization just to serve is maybe misguided i think you'd be better off uh, something that you have a passion for you'll get a lot more uh enjoyment and fulfillment from helping those that you you know like like to serve and have had uh some exposure to over the course of your life so i would encourage those who want to volunteer to continue to volunteer and that's at your own pace uh you don't need to sort of be you know, scheduled uh, uh, every Friday from five to six, unless that's available in your calendar, that may work for you. But there are so many organizations, especially now who are under siege that volunteerism should and uh, become more paramount in our community now. We should all be intentional in our uh, decision to help organizations that are going to need that extra A, financial help, and B, human capital uh, help, to survive the aftermath of COVID-19. So we may not have as many charities as we once had before this, and we will have to make sure we uh, support those who are left as um, the impact of this whole experience will, will be playing out for many months still.
1: No, absolutely. And, and and I agree with that statement is that you have to be passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I know my wife's charity, I mean, the company McKenzie, they're big and they give to a lot of money, a lot of money to a lot of charities, but they are also, whether it be Huma- Habitat for Humanity and, and the Seeing Eye Dog, I can't remember the name of it mm-hmm. now, but they, they have to go give time. And we've done that as a family as well. And we've really supported the Brown Bagging It, which is probably my favorite yeah. charity personally and, and giving time. And Tanya does a great job there. Uh, but you made a, you made an interesting point there, and and I know that kind of uh, rolls into the next question I have. But you you said like there's you know it's going to crush a few charities. They're going to be gone, and, uh, and and that's sad because they all have a, a purpose. Whether you think there's too many of them or not, but how are some of these uh, non-profits or charities going to be able to overcome this time and stay alive?
2: Well, uh, a few years ago, I was working on a project that was um, in my view. The potential of changing the paradigm uh, where we have an awful lot of charities and in, in some funders mind we have a lot of duplication within the system. People who are asked to support say well I give to that one doesn't that help you and so there's confusion around the brands in some cases but also what the, the deliverables are at the end of the day and often uh, small charities grow into large charities over time uh, with a charismatic um, uh, grassroots sort of function from a founder and a number of key volunteers. And it evolves and grows, evolves and grows. And as their desire to do more, their need to expand and hire more people. It's just the natural progression of a, of a, a nonprofit or charitable organization. And so what we need to do is realized that uh, after COVID-19 that some of these may not have been in the, the strongest financial position to weather this downturn, A, having to let key staff and, and volunteers um, go in the sense that they had nothing for them to do uh, for certain charities. This could be the case. Of course, food banks and uh, shelters are still in high demand, but there's a number of others that You know, because of our legislation and the government closure function, aren't able to operate at the same level working from home, you can do some of that. But if you had uh, clients and those that you serve in your um, uh, operational plan and you can't do that any longer, uh, you're not potentially getting funding from the government who funds those types of programs and or your donors who themselves are sort of uh, holding back because of the unknown uh, future. So there's all these dynamics and variables that these organizations are needing to deal with. And what I'm going to think and I'll prophesize here a bit, Jade, is that I think uh, there'll be a need to have some um, merging of organizations of similar um nonprofit interest, uh, where recently, for those who may not be aware, the Boys and Girls Club here in Calgary and Aspen Family Services merged about two weeks ago. Now, I don't think they just all of a sudden pulled that out of a hat, but I think what happened is that, um, Shirley Purvis, who's uh, been a long standing uh, servant in our community for those families and organizations in Calgary that they serve has with distinction served in so many ways, and I think she had been planning her exit strategy probably for the last couple of years and was looking for the right fit. So she could take the organization that she has brought uh, to where it is today and merge it with a similar organization with similar goals and uh, mandate and mission and be able to safely hand it over to a younger uh dynamic sort of leader who uh will carry on her work for her and uh and her organization take care of those people she's worked with so i think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future as um organizations realize that this was a mountain they couldn't climb any longer and instead of letting it all Go to waste. How do you come together and and get rid of the silos? Get rid of the duplication. Make a stronger nonprofit sector that's going to be able to respond and survive and be sustainable. That would be my hope, and I uh, would ha- you know love to help organizations figure out how that might be applicable to them because I think it's an important decision that they need to make about their own survival as an organization.
1: No, I I, I agree with that, and and. And again, I mean, every time I talk to you, I'm smarter, which is, which, which, which is why I like our conversations. I learn yeah. something new. Which is, yeah. <laughs> again, when you say that, you know, that's emerging. And I know, you know, you and I have had that discussion about possibly being too many out there in the past. So coming out of uh, post-COVID here. I mean, there's probably going to be only so much money, whether that be coming from, uh, you know, people's their own their own donations. Obviously, the government's racking up a large a a large deficit to get through this. How are we going to be able to or how are charities going to be able to get through this with maybe limited resources? Are you going to see more um, go away or do you think there will be more of that uh, collaboration and saying, okay, there was seven that worked on Alzheimer's. Maybe that's down to two or one. Is that something you'll see? you think we'll see?
2: I think the smart money would be yes to that answer. I think they need to seriously look at their capacity to exist. And if they didn't have financial funds, reserve funds for a rainy day tucked away, then they are going to be you know, walking a very thin line of sustainability. So, you know, they're going to get whatever if they're able to through the government programs federally uh, that allow them to maintain uh, at 75%, the 75% program for staff, that's applicable to the nonprofit sector as well. So that's all good news. But, you know, basically we're, you have to figure out what, what the folks are going to be doing, much like what are airlines doing with all their staff who used to be on planes and aren't any longer, but, you know, uh, you know, you're basically just paying them not to come to work. and so that's only going to last a little bit of time before that can no longer be the way we do it. And so we need to hopefully um, see the end of this more quickly if we can so we can resume some uh, normal uh, activities. But I think you know you know we're looking at probably eight weeks minimum, could be 10, could be 12, depending. If we start opening the door and, uh, Jade, we start seeing the cases starting spike again, then the whole close down will re-emerge and we'll have to retreat. And so how long more will that take? Is that another six weeks? Is that another eight weeks? So we're past summer then. We're into summer and almost through to the fall. So I think that would be the limit to most organizations, small, who don't have any financial resources to Uh, go beyond that point, uh, that they'll need a very serious, um, discussion at the board table with the, the executive leadership to figure out what their next steps are because, uh, as much as they would like to see them go forward, uh, they're going to be in trouble. You look at the arts organizations that, for all intents and purposes, can't have any performances. So you've got actors, technicians, admin, all those, from Theatre Calgary to, uh, Rosebud Center of the Arts to, you know, across Canada, the, all the commercial theatres in Toronto as well. And so the Shaw Festival, Stratford Festival, they are all shut down, not doing a 2020 season potentially. At least the Sh- Stratford Festival made that call. I'm not sure the Shaw did in the end. Um, and so really our arts programs in this country are, are going to suffer greatly. Uh, There is funding available nationally for that, but at the end of the day, these small little grassroots theatre companies who I do work with through my work through Arts Fest and Business in the Arts, uh, uh, I was on a call with the general manager of the Canmore Folk Festival and their um, big weekends, first weekend in August, and they cancelled a week and a half ago. They realized that uh, there's no way they can make commitments uh, coming up, say in the next six weeks, for something in August with artists, when they don't know if this will be over. So those, the way the arts community works, that um, those are long-term commitments, so people can schedule appropriately and travel, etc. And so a lot of that's being swept aside. And so there's going to be small little arts groups that uh, are you know, are trying to do things online and virtually, but that can only go so far uh, at this point. So there, there's so much change, Jade, I, uh, I'm afraid to sort of prophesize, but I think we will have um, maybe a leaner nonprofit sector after this. And, um, you know, I'm not always a big sort of advocate of the survival of the fittest, but that may be in the end, what unfolds here by sheer circumstance. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I agree with everything you said. It It is something that,
1: uh, I think that's probably the best phrase, uh, analogy that you can, that you can use survival of the fittest. I mean, personally, I wish some of them would work together, you know, more often. So the money isn't spread out. It's, you know, it goes towards, yep. there's less on admin, yep. there's less on marketing, there's less on, you know, more goes to the root cause. And, and, and if that, you know, be, you know, changes because of this, I, maybe we'll be better for it. Um, um, uh, but I, I my biggest fear is that, you know, the people that were passionate and then as you said before, that you find that cause that you're passionate about and then you go work for something. I hope there isn't that um I don't know, you know, non camaraderie so to say, between the organizations that they're like, well, oh, I don't want to work with that board or I don't want to work with that person. And then these people just go away right. and don't volunteer right. anymore. And there'll be
2: a level of that. Unfortunately, I think there's, uh, um, you know, competition. We know there's competition both for dollars and volunteers and, and awareness and brand, all those things, uh, you know, for profits have to deal with as well. It's no different in the nonprofit as well. Um, but I think there's a softer side. I think there's within the nonprofit sector, uh, depending on the leadership that you have, um, uh, a strategic mindset because, uh, nonprofits don't have, you know, the cash that a for profit company has, a successful for profit, uh, to spend whatever it takes to make the wheels go around. Uh, I always say I can, I can make things happen with next to nothing. And those come from gifts in kind and volunteers and, and just good old ingenuity, how to figure something out without having to pay, if you will, retail for it. Still make it the same quality event or, or production you're developing. You just don't need to go and, and pay what IBM would pay or Apple would pay to have that they, you know they've got loads of money so they invest in the best systems and we all advocate and 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 dream of having the ability to to pr- produce something like they do but they've got endless uh, uh, bags of cash to do that with a nonprofit doesn't and so that's what makes them special too when you see the creativity and the ingenuity that they bring forward to be able to do what they do and and I think it, it's really much more genuine in a lot of ways. It's honest. It's not a bot sort of solution. It's a it's a natural because people see through that. People are very very good at understanding uh what's real and what's memrex. And so I think being able to uh keep our nonprofits uh alive and well and being able to see to the other end of this tunnel is paramount because I'd hate to lose some of the great organizations we have here in Calgary and across Canada who serve their, their, um, based now you hate that word, but their, uh, constituents, stakeholders, if you will, better terminology, uh, who then, um, you know, ha- have issues that need that special, uh, service delivery. And, you know, many of us probably don't know some of these stories, but there's some, Horrific stories out there that uh, that a, a situation like this, or a, or a hurricane, or uh, a, you know, blizzard, whatever, ice storm. You know, all these natural disasters create opportunities for our nonprofit sector to respond and and do the good work that they do. And so, um, this is no different. COVID is a little different than probably many of us have ever experienced, and uh, we're sort of learning on the fly. Uh, on this one. Hopefully what we learn is uh, is a carry forward, a pay it forward that next time as we did from SARS, um, next time we're gonna be ready with this one.
1: I agree with you. I think I think we'll be ready as a as a country, as a province. I, I think it'll be a, a a pandemic task force that comes out of this and when the word pandemic is used, these click in, boom, 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 and and it won't be the Wild West out there and, and I mean that's a whole nother topic. Oh, exactly. On its own <laughs> yeah so one thing that i want to um i mean i host a telling it like it is facebook live show every wednesday 9 30 in the morning and i always have the last question and i'd like to get two two questions in here um but but kind of have a spin on it um in a different way so the first one will be if you had one piece of advice for an organization to get through the covid and and be successful what would that be And the next one I want to put as in if you had one piece of advice for a person who wants to continue to give back, you know, how should they proceed? Um,
2: for organizations, I think, uh, uh, there's an opportunity to reach out to experts. You know, there's an awful lot of experts, people with uh, years of experience who are also sitting on the sidelines. And so I know some, uh, management and consulting groups are, are putting forth some, um, complimentary zoom call, uh, conference calls to just tell us what your problem is and let's talk through it. Cause often, um, you're afraid to admit that you're in trouble, and I think at this time you're going to need to uh, step up and and admit that you need some friends. And I know those can be some of the most um, revealing conversations, but at the end, what you're doing is you're building uh, a base of support with people who genuinely care about your longevity and your and your future and the and the history of what you've done so um it's no you know in a competitive world you don't want to let your adversary or your competition know that you're in a weak position so no one wants that but in nonprofits, I think it's important to be honest the board needs to come forward in in a in a confidential way it's not like you're putting an ad in the herald nothing like that I think what it is is being realizing that there are resources out there and that you should be able to go out and and um, tap into this resource pool that uh, otherwise would would be costing you X in normal times and I know some of the management companies are are offering these um, instances so I encourage the nonprofit sector to um, seek out these organizations to be able to, to maybe get some help when they need it most right now uh and that's around governance you may have people leaving your board so you don't have the government structure there's 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 a hundred of, of situations that could be uh, developing right now um and uh sorry what was the second question again as the same type of advice for right. an individual a to person, volunteer and everything. Yeah. okay so um of course Right now, human services, social services, those types of areas are the ones that are seeing the biggest uptick in, in demand of their services. And often, uh, there's not enough people to answer the demand. Now, I know Kids Help Phone expanded their programming, uh, nationally and have been training volunteers. So if that's something that you have a, have an interest in having a talk with a young person who's maybe challenging um, some of the uh, things going on in their life and they need a third party that's not their parents or their uncle or their aunt, someone that they can talk to confidentially, um, their Kids Help Phone is an answer for that. But the neat thing is that that Kids Help Phone has been hiring volunteers to to, uh, handle the demand. I'm sure they're no different from any other organization, one demand um, that's out there through other social organizations, um, shelters, all these places still need to serve meals and um, help those in, who are most vulnerable. So I would advocate that if you're interested in helping out, uh, try it, CCBO for what the volunteer um, opportunities are there. Uh, and. If not, go to the largest organizations such as the Mustard Seeds, the churches. All of these would have access to where there are opportunities if you'd like to give back and you can give a couple hours a week or whatever it might be. So um, not too hard how to fit in and find a way to give back. I'm a big advocate of that. And, I, you know, I think we're a stronger community when uh, we all gathered together. And we've seen this multiple times, uh, here in Calgary stampede. Unfortunately, it's cancellation this year. It shows you one of the big ways where that all comes together. But I think COVID is another way that we can do this once we can, um, sort of get out of the house a bit.
1: No, I, and we're all anxious for that. That's for sure. Again, uh, you know, Derek, that's kind of a wrap on our, on our interview. And I really appreciate you coming forward, sharing your knowledge and, uh, And talking about one of the pillars of the rainforest contract, pay it forward, I think it's crucial. I think we still have to get the word out there. And moving forward, charities are going to be a strong part of coming out of the the COVID crisis. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much, Derek, for joining us today. And
0: uh, we will chat soon. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Del Deegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.